0: Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Well, Shabbat Shalom. I started writing this, Drash, and then the entire topic changed, and I realized I needed to change the, the topic and the title. So I titled today, You Who Are Spiritual. And writing this was interesting because you who are... Spiritual comes from a specific citation, and we'll get there in a moment. But spirituality is an interesting thing, and it can seem fleeting. When someone mentions spirituality in Western culture, they're often referring to something they consider Eastern. That you're supposed to be inward-focused and look in yourself and still your mind, and that's where you'll find some kind of enlightenment or something. And, and this comic strip, I got a kick out of it. It's a, uh, a monk of some kind receiving a gift with an empty box. Wow, nothing, just what I always wanted. And this idea that you can free yourself of, of everything physical, of people, of any kind of community, of any kind of custom and tradition and go isolate yourself in a forest and, and that's where you're really gonna find yourself. Is this, as if that's where you lost yourself at some point. The thing is, this whole I'm spiritual, not religious idea is wrong. It's not biblical. And if we're being honest, when someone says, I'm deeply spiritual, what they usually mean is, that's code for, better than you. And that's a hard thing to admit. Usually when someone says they're spiritual, that's from a place of of pride and not fact. And spirituality is often defined by the world as a vague concept of seeking one's inner voice, inner light, inner self... And that all you need comes from within you. And the spiritual but not religious crowd espouses experiencing God from within, but not in a community context. The idea that you can somehow love God, absent of receiving His Spirit, without loving His people, is a lie which has brought about some of the worst atrocities in history. God led Israel, our people, out of Egypt. And gave them, us, his Torah. God commanded a temple in all of its intricacies and customs. God ordained a priesthood and gave them very specific commands and duties. The Shabbat, the festivals, were not given to a person. They were given to a people. God's purpose in raising up everyone from Avraham to Rav Shul, the Apostle Paul, was for the purpose of building his people. Not... Any single person's enlightenment, comfort, or self-discovery. A true spiritual life is one spent in obedience to the word of God and reborn into his kingdom. Messiah Yeshua came to serve others at any cost. He did not come for himself. No biblical figure walked in righteousness by living a life of seclusion and self-aggrandizement. And that's what is so often sold to us today. A true spiritual life is a life lived richly in God and fully becoming who He calls you to be. It is never meant to be easy. But we seem to limit ourselves in this spiritual life to what is simple and what is easy and what am I comfortable with. And 90% of our prayers end up being on more or less two things financial stability and health. And we kind of stop there because once we have financial stability and health, we're comfortable. At least we feel comfortable, more or less. Whereas Yeshua says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then everything else will be added to you. But we look for an easy path in this spiritual walk we're trying to do somewhat aimlessly. And we don't see that easy path anywhere in scripture. Take Abraham. He did not live an easy life. If you're being honest, not one of us would want to trade spots and go live out Abraham's life. He had a hard go at it. Or Isaac. Where your dad tries to, you know, put you on an altar and sacrifice. No, no one want to trade places with Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, any of the prophets. None of us would want to trade places with them because they were called to be really weird at times. Really weird. We're in Hosea right now and, and these prophets were not normal people. And a lot of us aren't comfortable being different. We want to blend in and we want an easy go at it because God's just here to bless me and make my life simple and easy. I, some of you might hate me for this, I pray that God gives each of you a full life, walking in his ways. I don't want any of you to have an easy life, because if life is easy, you will never grow. So processing what a spiritual walk looks like takes you down some interesting paths. Because a lot of different things are called spiritual that we would not automatically process as spiritual. In the Brut Shah, a number of things are called spiritual. For example, Rav Shul in Romans 7 calls the Torah spiritual. He calls proper judgment spiritual. The, the manna and the water, that spiritual food and spiritual drink from a spiritual rock. Those things are called spiritual. And Shemokitha, Peter, says you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Yeshua Messiah. This spiritual walk is something you are a piece of. You are not off on your own. I believe it's Charles Spurgeon who has a quote, uh, gave a talk on how someone who thinks they're off on their own living this spiritual life, it's like a brick that's been thrown out into a field, thinking it's somehow part of a building. You're by yourself if you are not living in a community So in a community context, then what does spirituality look like? And I titled this, you who are spiritual from Galatians chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Also translated, humility or meekness. Each one looking to yourself so that you... Are not tempted as well. Bear one another's burdens. And thereby fulfill the law of Messiah. And this is when it it challenges a bit. This isn't easy to process. It's the duty of a spiritual person. To restore sinners. Not to yell. Not to judge. Speak truth. But it's our job not to go harass. But to restore that word restore, thinking about setting a bone, if something is broken. If a doctor came and saw a broken bone and said, That bone's broken, dummy, what'd you do? Break your arm? Ha! That's a bad doctor. What makes him a good doctor is if he's able to fix it, to properly set it and cast it. Our ability to simply diagnose does not make us spiritual, it does not mean fulfilling the law of Messiah our ability to restore, which requires discernment, prayer, tact, speaking truth in love. It requires a lot of humility. And Paul isn't the only one who talks about this. Yaakov James talks about it. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that the one who has turned a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. It is a mitzvah to turn a sinner from the error of his ways. Turn him to repentance. Teshuvah. To turn around. Or in the Greek, change of mind. This is not just a box you check. And you are graded by results. Not the number of attempts. If you've ever been hunting, what do you bring home that you almost shot? You don't. Unless you're a really fast runner. You are graded by your results. And it's either a hit or a miss. Paul says that we do this, turning a sinner from his ways, with humility. Because pride turns people away from us. Turns people away from God. Yeshua didn't turn anyone away who sought him sincerely. And he had some really messed up people come to him. The kind of things that most of us will never experience. He had hurt, traumatized people come to him. And never once did he stand back and judge, did his jaw drop, and did he freak out. Well, we don't have pictures of it, but reading the text, I have a hard time seeing him have a panic attack because someone came to him with some problem that he just never could have imagined a human being would have gone through. How we go about this is critical if we want to fulfill the law of Messiah. Messiah. We who are spiritual need to have this process down. And if you want to fulfill the law of Messiah and cover a multitude of sins, we need to be good at this. We need to live truly spiritual lives, not fake ones. Because a typical self-proclaimed spiritual person, if we're being honest, is the last person you would ever want to go to if you are actually hurt. If you are experiencing a trauma. If you have a pain, if you fall into a sin, if you feel trapped, if you realize that you've been doing something wrong and you need to escape, the self-proclaimed spiritual person is the last one you would want to go to, and that is not good. Let's walk through this process then. What does it look like to restore a sinner? And the first step is the approach. And the critical elements here are humility, love, and discernment. And why do we need... Humility. I'll pose it to you, not just because it's this overarching thing that we should all have, and yet it seems fleeting at times. You need humility because for all any of us know, we are the worst person to ever live. For all I know, I'm the worst person to ever live. And that if any one of you had my background, my experiences, my upbringing, my knowledge, that you would be better than me. And that if I was in anyone's shoes throughout history, I would have been worse. We don't know. You need humility when someone approaches you or you approach someone with their sin. Because for all you know, you would have done worse. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about stealing a cookie or murder. For all any of us know, any one of us, myself included, myself especially, would have done worse. So never, ever tell someone, well... I've never struggled with that. Yeah, well, you're not dead yet. You've got time. And you also don't know their circumstances. So, the approach. We do it with humility. And Yeshua gives us a very plain command on the process. In Matthew 18. Now, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So that's where the process would stop if he listens to you. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you. So that on the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the congregation. And if he refuses to listen, even to the congregation, he is to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. As in, not in the community. Follow this process. And if I may, in my experience, lather, rinse, and repeat as necessary in steps one and two. Meaning this. If I have to approach anyone, let's say Dan, about an issue. And I I come to him and point out X, Y, Z. Doesn't matter what it is. And he responds negatively. How many of us like having our faults pointed out? It doesn't make you feel good, does it? (laughs) He loves correction, yes. Most of us, it doesn't make us feel good when someone points out something negative. Maybe you approach the person wrong. Try it again later. Another time, maybe the next day. Because you don't necessarily want it to escalate to step two, where you have to bring a couple other people into it. Because what's after step two? You're risking losing your brother. Rinse and repeat every step of the way. And if you cannot rebuke someone with tears in your eyes, don't do it at all. Remember, you're not checking a box here. This is not a legalistic series of steps for you to go through. It's not A plus B plus C. You are going through this prayerfully and with humility. Yeshua never jaw-dropped or was shocked or aghast at anyone's sin if they were coming to him in repentance. The people that Yeshua had a lot of problems with were the self-righteous, self-proclaimed spiritual crowd of his day, who the sinners could not turn to without being rejected and scorned. We have to approach people with humility, whether it's something small or whether it's something big. The number of times I have seen a tiny offense blow up into something huge is frustrating. It's a frustrating number of times. So the first step to restoring a sinner is to approach with love and humility. And the second step is to restore to a relationship with God. Once we've approached them, and once they will essentially listen, the first thing we have to do is restore them to a relationship with God. And that requires repentance. It is completely necessary, and it is intrinsic to a relationship with God. In Mishle, Proverbs, Solomon writes, He who conceals his sins will not succeed, but he who confesses and abandons them will obtain mercy. It is our calling to lead sinners to confession and to repentance. To call a sin for what it is and to turn from it. Whether it's something small like stealing a cookie. Or whether it's adultery and murder like King David. You need to turn someone from sin and get them to repent. Yeshua says in Luke 15, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven. Over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. And we're back to that humility piece again. If you are leading someone to repentance, it's not about you. It's about them and their relationship with God. And it should grieve you. We should bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Messiah in this. Be the reason angels celebrate in heaven. And it doesn't matter if a party is for you or not. Yeshiyahu and Isaiah... The prophet writes, but your iniquities were separating between you and between your God and your sins have caused him to hide his face from you so that he not hear. Your sin separates you from God. If someone is in sin, that their sin is offensive to you should be second at best. You should be more concerned for their soul, that they are separated from God in their sin. And you should be willing to do whatever it takes to bring someone closer to God. Yeshua was willing to die. What are you willing to do? What am I willing to do? John writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. God is faithful to forgive. No matter how off-putting someone's sin is to you, I promise you, Yeshua's blood covers it. No matter how offensive you might find someone's behavior, Yeshua will forgive. God will forgive them. When we lead someone to repentance, it is not about controlling other people. Because if you coerce and control and humiliate someone, they will despise you. You need to lead them in prayer and with love. Dale Carnegie wrote that the only way to get anyone to do anything is for them to want to do it. Otherwise, it's coercion, and they will ultimately not like you. The third step. So first we have the approach with love and humility, and the second with uh, restore to relationship with God with repentance. And the third is to restore them to community. And a critical element there is no gossip. Now, in most cases... In someone's sin, following steps one and two of Yeshua's uh, prescription for this, you approach someone one-on-one. And if that doesn't work, if the one-on-one method fails, bring a couple of others in. Not the whole community. You don't get to go start talking to every single person about it. And if you decide you're going to start spreading someone else's faults around, you are sinning yourself. In most cases, the whole community should not even know about what someone is going through because it's none of their business. Gossip is absolutely forbidden in scripture. It is mentioned a number of times. It is not our place to malign those who God loves. Gossip only hurts. And it is forbidden in Torah. In Vayikra, Leviticus chapter 19. You shall not go around as a gossip mongerer amongst your people. You shall not stand by the shedding of your fellow's blood. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your fellow, but you shall not bear a sin on his account. How might you bear a sin on someone else's account? How else would their sin somehow cause you to sin? But if you handled their sin poorly, if you approached them with haughtiness and pride instead of love and prayer. And the sages pick up on this. Commentary on verse 17. You should not hate your brother in your heart. They write, in the course of your rebuking your fellow, do not embarrass him in public. If you humiliate someone, they will despise you. And everything else you wanted to say to them will fall on deaf ears. There are plenty of fake, spiritual, and ultra-religious people out there who will gladly make a show over how righteous they are. And they will gladly give you a legalistic formula for how you can make yourself holy and righteous while all they're doing is cleaning the outside of the cup while the inside is completely filthy. Most of the time anyways... When gossip does spread around, the story you hear is either incomplete or it's completely wrong. If we're honest, most of the time we've heard a piece of gossip that was a small piece of the story or it was a very particular telling of it. If you've watched the news in, say, the last 20 years, you should know what I'm talking about. Let's use a a more lighthearted and simple example. There are two young brothers, Noah and Elijah. Noah runs to their mother and exclaims, Elijah, hit me. Mom punishes Elijah. The truth is that Noah hit Elijah and the two fought with each other. The only reason Noah ran to mom first was to control the narrative in an attempt to escape punishment. Much of what we believe in gossip is just creative storytelling designed to omit certain facts in order to absolve ourselves and make someone else look worse than they actually are. Do not do this. Do not decide that, well, I was involved in this, but to control the narrative and make myself look better, I'll start blabbing it around. That way everyone sees things my way. Don't do that. And when someone comes to you with gossip, don't listen to them. Ask them to stop. Refuse to listen to storytelling. It is forbidden in Torah. It is a sin. King David wrote in Psalm 34, Guard your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceitfully. And his son wrote in Mishlei Proverbs, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. When your speech is true and loving and kind, you can heal the world. Takunolam. olam. There is life in the tongue, but there is also death. And we get to choose what we speak. I encourage all of you to bring life And not death. Do not bury sin on your brother's account. Maimonides wrote in Mishneh Torah. Who is a talebearer?" Talking about this, this verse in Leviticus 19. One who carries gossip. Going about from person to person. And telling so and so said this. And I heard so and so about so and so. Even though he tells the truth. He ruins the world. There is still worse iniquity. That comes within this prohibition. Namely, the evil tongue of the scandal mongerer who speaks disparagingly of his fellow man, even if he tells the truth. Spreading negative stories does not help to heal a sinner. It drives them away and usually even deeper. It shows pride in your heart as if you were somehow better. And it does not help them at all. You bear a sin on their account when you do that. Gossip in all of its variations ultimately does three things. It pollutes relationships because you planted seeds of doubt in the ears of everyone who heard it. It traps other people in their sin because it makes it harder and harder for them to actually repent within a community. And it destroys unity in a group because it pushes that person away. And every person who heard you talk knows that if you would gossip about someone else, you'll do it about them. I've watched people repent of a bad choice and then spend a lifetime running from the gossip because other people could not control their tongues. And it is sad to see because I've wondered what that person could have accomplished if only people had stopped talking and trying to keep them in that place they were in their sin instead of realizing who they had become. How would any of us handle Rav Shaul today, the Apostle Paul, someone who went from A murderer and heavily persecuting the first century believers to being a champion apostle. They clearly understood something about repentance and forgiveness that I don't think we understand now two millennia later. A young man wrote this story about the destructive power of gossip. I remember hearing some gossip in the high school locker room about a girl who was easy. I don't know if it was I was angrier at the guys or at the girl I liked if indeed it was true. I later found out that she heard about this rumor and she ended up quitting school and I never heard from her again. I always wondered what happened to her. Gossip hurt her deeply and it may have changed her entire future. Gossip can destroy people's reputations. It can destroy people's self-image. It can separate the best of friends and it can destroy lives. When you speak negatively about someone, you can destroy their life. You have no idea what you'll be doing to them. You're driving someone away from community, probably deeper into sin. When you slander them. And you will answer to God for this. Yeshua says in Matthew 12, But I tell you that for every careless word that people speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. We will be judged by our words. Please do not speak carelessly about someone. And on the day of judgment realize that you will see who they could have become if only you had shut your mouth. If you had not spoken negatively. Or if you had found a way to speak life into them. When they were at a critical point. When you could have had a rebuke in love that would have been heard. But instead, you chose to speak death. None of us want to answer before God for this. The steps to restoring a sinner. The first is the approach, which we do with love and humility and discernment. The second is we restore to a relationship with God, and that's with repentance. And the third step, we'll touch another point on there. When we restore to community, there is no gossip. If it goes to the step where someone is pushed out of community, though... We have to restore them. And that's why it is restore to community. And we have an example of this in Rav Shul's letters with the congregation in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it's a story many of us are familiar with. He writes, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And sexual immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles. Namely, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. We have here someone openly living in sin, and they have made, done this publicly. Now, for a clarification on gossip, if I, nothing I'm saying here, if you went and, and talked about it, would be necessarily gossip. When someone does something grossly publicly, and the rabbis would say that if, if three or four people are aware of it, then generally speaking, it's considered more or less public. When you have someone openly sinning, and Rav Shul tells them you need to remove this person from the community. And they do. And by the time he writes his second letter to them, in 2 Corinthians 2, sufficient for such a person is this punishment which was imposed by the majority. So that on the other hand, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a person might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. When someone has repented, especially of a public and something we would consider grievous sin, it is your job to love them. To reaffirm their faith in Messiah. Love them as you would want to be loved. As God loves us. He does not sift through our past mistakes in life. And pull stuff out randomly and say, remember when you did this? Despite how many times you do that to yourself when you're trying to fall asleep at night. That is not from God and that is not what he does to us. Do not look down on someone as if you were better just because you hadn't done such and such before. We are responsible to each other and we're responsible to look out for and help each other. When someone stumbles, especially like this, Paul calls that person out. But then he tells the community, you need to get your act together as well. Because this is on you now. Why were you letting this happen? Why did you let it get to this point? Are you not your brother's keeper? There's a story of a, of a businessman, and I won't say his name, but he's a, he's a well-known um, producer. If I said his name, many of you would know it. And it's a public story, so it's not, it's not gossip from years ago. He travels a lot, and he got a last-minute invitation to do a work trip. Now, a little bit about him. He normally travels with a group of friends. In this case, on such short notice... None of those guys were able to go with him. So he traveled alone. And unbeknownst to him, with this work invitation came a trap. Because someone decided they wanted to blackmail him. And that trap involved a lot of alcohol and a girl that was far too interested. It later hit the news. When it hit the news and his friends were interviewed, this is what shocked me. What did they say? Did they berate him? Did they scold him? Oh, our friend was an idiot. I can't believe he would do that. No. Quote, I wasn't there to protect him. I wish I would have been there because we all take responsibility. And that floored me. Because these guys who may or may not be believers. Realize something about brotherhood and about community. That they were their brother's keeper. And that even though he did something wrong, they weren't there to watch out for him. They let someone go down that path. And they talked about it, how they look out for each other. And when—and we all know this, when you have your friends around you, when you have your community around you, it gets a little harder to be foolish. If you want to see what's really inside of you, go off on your own somewhere where nobody knows you, where nobody knows your background. And you have no expectations. And you'll find out what's in your heart. You are your brother's keeper. And do not be negligent with that responsibility. Because when someone stumbles, we should all look to ourselves. Do not slander. Restore someone. Do not destroy. Steps to restoring a sinner... We approach with humility. We restore to a relationship with God with repentance. We restore them to community by not gossiping and through real restoration. And we have reconciliation to those who are wronged. The fourth step and the critical elements there are repentance from the offender and humility and forgiveness by the offended And this is a problem for a lot of people. And this this is really hard to do. Because when bad things happen to us, we think, why could this happen? This person must be evil. And we hyperbolize everything around them to be, oh, this person's bad. They're horrible. And so we don't forgive. And we feel justified in this. Because your wound starts to become familiar. And your pride feels more comfortable than humility. And so we keep ourselves in unforgiveness. And then we'll pride ourselves and say, well, I might have done such and such, but at least I never did that. You need to forgive realizing you are no better. Because these kind of problems become, well, problems. And they can split communities. They can break families apart. Once you lack forgiveness. We should all realize if you don't forgive others of their sins, God will not forgive you. And I would ask, if you have any unforgiveness in your heart, if you're the reason there hasn't been a reconciliation or any problem in your life, what has someone done to you that is worth you going to hell for? I truly hope there is nothing. Ralph Shul writes in 2 Corinthians, I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish, and you may be found by you not To be not what you wish. That perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. What would Roshul find in the body today? People seeking vengeance, holding grudges. These things are forbidden in Torah. In Leviticus 19, you shall neither take revenge from nor bear a grudge against the members of your people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That commandment Yeshua says is the second greatest. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Come on the heels of, in the prior verses, of properly rebuking and not taking revenge, not bearing grudges. Yeshua says in Luke 17, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, And returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And this is hard to do. This is really hard to do. Most of us don't find actual forgiveness easy. It's harder than properly rebuking sometimes. And I've got bad news for you. That the world, non-believers, they know how to read. And they read this. And realize there is a discrepancy here. Isaac Asimov, a a science fiction writer and also atheist, says, If I am right, then they will not go to heaven because there is no heaven. If they are right, then they will not go to heaven because they are hypocrites. Because the world sees the amount of unforgiveness and grudge bearing that happens in the body, and they know perfectly well how to read, and they say, you aren't following your own text. By your own estimation, God manifested in the flesh. And you ignore half of what he says because it makes you uncomfortable. So what's the solution here? How do we, how do we get from A to B to C to D? Follow the steps of reconciliation. Follow the steps of properly. You who are spiritual, restore someone in a spirit of humility. Approach someone with love. Lead them to repentance. Don't gossip and slander them and bear a sin on their account. If it's something that's become public, restore them to the community. You are your brother's keeper. And if you behave as otherwise, you are living in hypocrisy. You are your sister's keeper. And if you behave as otherwise, you are living in hypocrisy. The sin of others should lead us to find ways to guide them to repentance. To reconnect and reconcile them to God and to the community. You do not get credit for pointing out someone's sin. Anyone can do that. You get credit for turning a sinner from their ways. That is the only part of it you get credit for. In God's eyes. Anyone can point the sin out. It's getting someone to stop. That's the tricky process. That you need tact. You need discernment. You need prayer. And this is a ministry that we are all called to. We are all called to reconcile people to God. Rav Shul writes in 2 Corinthians, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Messiah and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely that God was in Messiah reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given the word of reconciliation. I don't care what other ministries you're involved in. If you've been anointed as as an evangelist or a teacher in healing, in tongues. I don't care how much you read Torah, how much prayer, how much music. I don't care usher greeting or anything else you do. Each and every one of you, if you are a follower of the master, you have that ministry of reconciliation. You will always have it for your entire life. We are reconciled to God by Messiah Yeshua and he calls us to reconcile as well, to speak life, to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his mercy, to be his grace. The wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Would the music team please come up? Would you pray with me? Venus Shabbat Shemayim, our Father in heaven. Lord, God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God of Moses and Aaron. Lord, you are a God who led us out of Egypt. You made us a people in a day. You gave us Torah on a mountain. And you would die for us on a cross. Lord, through your work, you reconcile us to you. You found a way where there was not a way. Lord, I ask that you would put your spirit in each of our lives, that you would speak wisdom on each of us. Lord, I do not ask that you give any of us an easy life, but I ask that you give us a full life, a life fulfilled in your word and your purposes. Lord, I ask that you would put on each and every one of us a heart that would discern, a heart that would see, a heart that would properly rebuke, a heart that would hear rebuke, that we would see sin and we would love people enough to speak truth into their lives with humility. Lord, not one of us is better than the other. We are all sinners who need your grace. No matter what any of us ever accomplishes, we will always need you. And all of our accomplishments are for you and your purposes. Lord, I ask that you would organize our lives, that you'd organize our resources, that you would draw our hearts to you, And that our hearts would be for each other through you. That we would serve our community. That we would serve your body. That we would reconcile to each other. That we would not have grudges. That we would not have anger in our midst. That we would love each other. And when frustrations come, we would not sin. Be ye angry and sin not, as your apostle wrote. Lord, I thank you for the love that you show us. And I ask that you would make us every day to be more and more in the likeness of Messiah Yeshua, the master after whom we follow and upon whose merit we pray to you. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.